Hello, welcome to the seventh. I think it's the seventh, right? This is the seventh one. Didn't you look that up before you got started? I never do, but it is right. I'm right. I know I'm right. <laughs> I'm just doubting myself. It's the Ides of January. February! Fuck, that was what I got wrong. Welcome uh, to Trash Baked Ratio. Everyone's here. Destiny. Hi. Kyle. Hello. And Matt. Hi. This month we have two movies as part of our movie club because we decided to do that. So it's only going to be a short catch-up before we get into those, but how's everyone doing? Who's seen anything good? Anyone? Anyone? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? That is the song, right? Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember it. I was there for the video. She's dating uh, Darlene from Roseanne now. Oh. Which one's Darlene? The angsty goth one, the best one. The uh, daughter. I saw Inherit Vice. Did we talk about that last time? I don't know if we did. Nope. It was good. I, I don't really have anything deep to say about it. It makes me want to read more Pinchon. And uh, I finally think I'm okay with Joaquin Phoenix. Sometimes he's just, I don't know, there's something about him that rubs me the wrong way. But you know what? I have no real reason to dislike the guy. Mm-hmm. Pinchon, Pinchon. <laughs> Gross. John Pinchaw. <laughs> <laughs> I like Inherent Vice just fine. I don't think it's great, but I really want to rewatch it. Um, I remember, like, my main issue is that it's Paul Thomas Anderson going back to his Robert Altman esque days, and it felt very rusty because, like, Altman and he were able to do these interesting panoramas of these. In- people, places, and things, and they were memorable. Like, even characters that were on screen for a minute or so were idiosyncratic enough that they left an impression, and this just felt a little more like the people were sketches rather than actual characters, and I might want to actually go back, and before I go back, have the experience of getting high, because I've never gotten high before, because I am told that it very much recreates that dazed um, feeling when one is um, on pie or something. So um, only movies I've seen stoned are The Room and uh, Chopping Mall. So I have no idea. But I, <laughs> I feel like this is the kind of movie like because it's an adaptation maybe that's why it doesn't feel like the characters are as deep as they could be. I don't know like compared to say Magnolia um, maybe it's the subject matter he's dealing with. I don't know. I had, I had fun. Like, I, I, I didn't think that they were badly written. I actually thought the Josh Brolin character had a lot of heart. I liked, it, I liked him. There wasn't enough, uh, oh, what's his name? I'm having a blank. Uh, Benicio del Toro. That's a guy that, uh, to steal Mark Marin's words, like, he didn't get enough play lately, and it was good to see him in something. I would, I could have used more of him. My uh, opinion is that the lack of, like, the fact that it plays in genre tropes in, like, this noir and with these characters is kind of, like, the movie itself is a red herring because the actual thrust of the movie is a tone piece about the years in which it's set. Like, it's about this riot, like, just after the crest of free love culture where everyone's a little strung out because they've been doing this a little too long. In that way, it's like a precursor to a movie like Fear and Loathing where all that has already fallen apart and everyone's just left at the very fringes of society. But this is when like that lifestyle was a society. And I think as a piece about a time and a place and a cultural attitude, it's really exceptional. I'll give you that. Um, what is free love culture? Like, just 60s, like, hippies, like, let's get together and take drugs and have sex and, like, none of it matters. Like, it's the rejection of all, like, the 50s moralism. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, can I talk about another movie or did Jackson have inherent vice feelings? I haven't, I haven't seen inherent vice yet. It's, it's out here, so I should go, I should go. For some reason I had assumed you'd seen it, sorry. Nope, not yet. Uh, Um... Matt and I watched a film from 2013 called The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears, which is a sort of, um, 
I think the film is, is it French? Belgian. Oh, thank you. Okay, uh, it's a Belgian film directed by Helene, um, her name is covered, Catet, and, uh, what's her co-director's name? Sorry, I'm clicking on a thing. And Bruno Ferranzi about this guy whose wife goes missing, and it's sort of this surrealist nightmare of just, like, images and dreams and memory and it reminded me a lot of well it's definitely Jalo influenced like there's a lot of just like beautiful women in glamorous settings while all these horrific things are happening but it wasn't quite I didn't think it was much of a horror film because like Netflix was selling it, selling us on it being a horror film, but it was definitely more of a psychological thriller about sort of sex and murder. That's cool. I enjoyed it. Genres. I don't know. Genres are weird. I'm pro genres. Sometimes I feel like what a movie actually is just doesn't, like nothing ever really falls into what Mm-hmm. people want it to be and I so I have a hard time with them sometimes so I try not to like mm-hmm. talk about movies in sense in the sense of genre but sometimes you can't help it I I think it depends how people approach them I think when you think of genres as uh these like broad categories and like tropes that you can like put on screen uh that's they're, they're helpful you just can't be rigid about them don't be rigid about anything. It's basically my thing. Yeah, that's this is definitely a movie. You kind of have to go in really open-minded. Because mm-hmm. it's just... It's all over the place. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I, I saw a bunch of stuff, but... Uh, I, Carl, you go. I have feels about this strange color of your body's oh. go. Oh, let's go hear them. Bring I, out your feels. Uh, my, my feels are not particularly deep or interesting, but I remember... I saw it over a year ago at this festival that um, American Film Institute, the theater in Washington, D.C. was putting on. That's where I also saw We Are the Best for the first time. Awesome. But I went into this blind, and it is one of the most excruciatingly mind-numbing experiences I've ever had. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's the fact that I'm not well acquainted with Jello or that kind of genre. Um, but I, I hated it. It's a bit so, slow, I'll give you that. Like, it's, it's a not, slow movie. It's not because it's slow, it's because the images seemed to mean very little, and they were extremely repetitive, and I will never be able to listen to the sound of polyester the same way again, or heavy breathing. Because oh, I, I felt like it was, it. I felt like it was one of those, um, choose your own adventure games that had no ending, and that was very frustrating to me. I'm a sucker for movies that remind me of dreaming, so I was I was on board from the word go. Maybe maybe I'll think differently of it if I rewatch it. Maybe. No, no, I haven't seen it. It's really um sexy and uh European, if that means anything to anyone. <laughs> I, I think I think I get you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kind uh, of austere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Matt, I, you saw it with me. Do you have any feels? No, I I liked it a lot. Uh, as just like a sensory experience, I think it's worthwhile. Um, I think like a movie that trades in kind of the same genre mashup is Lords of Salem. That does it probably better. Uh, I mean, that point. is a horror. That movie. one I want to see. It's but, great. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it, even though I think it was about as shallow as a mud puddle. But sometimes you just can let your brain skip off of the incomprehension when the visuals are worthwhile, and that's what I felt about that movie. Right on. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a ride. It's cool. I, I saw a bunch of stuff, uh, but... Uh, like, I, for some reason I watched Miami Vice for the first time. That's the film. But the, uh. You mean it's the greatest film? <laughs> it's pretty good. It's okay. The first. It's okay. The first ten minutes are so much better than the rest of it. 
I mean, you're right, but... Like, those first ten minutes are like a masterclass on how to get people to care about your shitty action film. Sure. It's so good. <laughs> but, uh. like, it's also the, like, art house version of Too Fast, Too Furious. Yes, you're right. Accurate. Okay, that's <laughs> my, that is why I was into my own vice. Why haven't I seen this Oh, yet? you should go watch it and just watch Colin Farrell, like, have sex, but also negotiate business practices and switch between the two and, like... It's it's ridiculous. It's great. I'm gonna have to see it. I don't know why I ignored it when it uh, came out, but I I read things about it that it made it sound like it was something I would enjoy, but I just never got around to it. <laughs> but the the one I want to talk about and make everyone else who's listening go see is Jupiter Ascending, which came out and no one likes, but I do, and I'm right. So you should go see that. It's a new Wachowski movie. It's another... Wachowski. Wachowski. Sorry, Wachowski movie. My bad. I know that's one of your things. I always say it wrong, too. I know. Uh, It's a new Wachowski movie. It's ridiculous. uh, And it's just a big, dumb sci-fi movie in the vein that they don't make anymore. It's like all the stuff that... Guardians of the Galaxy brought back of being big, ridiculous, old sci-fi movie, but without any of the level of the, the layer of, like, snarky self-awareness, but over it it just commits to everything completely and plays everything earnestly and I I love it. You should go go watch Jupiter Ascending. This is what Maybe I mean. you do have me convinced to see it when you just dissed Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> how you said that? <laughs> all you had to do. Yeah, had you said that at the beginning, then I would have said, okay, I'll go see it. There was an argument before this cast about Jupiter Ascending. Well, I like both of those movies. I like both I... of them too. I just like Jupiter Ascending a lot more. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I like I like them both a lot. I just, um, yeah, Jupiter Ascending is campy and fun, and um, everything I've been reading about it has been really upsetting. I feel like people are expecting it to be the Matrix they go all over again. Like, they just want this big huge thing and it's like well it is you're just not letting it into your heart <laughs> yeah like i i don't know i going to uh the matrix for what they're going to do next is well i don't know why people are doing that they made speed racer and it's amazing get on board this train people mm-hmm. the, the, the upsetting thing for me was i thought people were on board this train everyone loves speed racer everyone was down for them being ridiculous and <laughs> silly and give, pardon, Kyle. Speed Racers uh, has a very cult, cultish following. Yeah, but in yeah. the circles, like I run around and I've seen that film pick up uh, status recently, and the they did another one and it happened again with like the same people is strange to me because it's I don't know I don't I don't I don't get it I guess I just don't get it. Uh, but it's it's good. It's, it's uh, in addition to being the silliest film ever made, it's also really thematically strong. This takedown of capitalism and everything. It's good. It's a good. It's a good time. So that's my Jupiter ascending feels. The good feels. They are good feels. I agreed with the thing you wrote. I wrote a thing for. I wrote. I wrote a review for a website. Uh, for you did. I did. I did. And I realized that I'm, I I can write reviews, but I I'd ra- the whole time I was thinking I just want to talk about all the specific stuff and talk about the themes and spoil everything. So I'm not born to be a reviewer. Uh, I'm born to talk about movies on dumb podcasts. <laughs> uh, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. No. Is there any other thing anyone wants to get their feels out the way for, or are we going to just dive into it? Can it be not positive things? Sh- sure. Okay, so I watched this movie called Lovesick recently. It was a screener. And I am, I like romantic comedies. I, I'm a sap a little bit. Um, and I didn't actually look at the description. All I saw was that Mac LeBlanc was in it. And I thought, okay, this, this could be funny. I liked him on Friends. Um, and it was, we have a new contender for worst of the year. And I feel bad saying, saying that. But it's a film about, um, a man named Charlie, played by Matt LeBlanc, who, when he is in love, um, he becomes psychopathic. His brain chemistry, um, <sighs> I don't know. And psychopathic is the cute way of saying that he is jealous 
possessive, hyper-paranoid. It is not a cute movie. It is kind of awful. And it's really disappointing because the director, um, Luke Metheny, um, has made some really great short films early in his career. He made this thing called Irino, uh, Irino which is kind of like a cute retelling of Cyrano de Bergerac. Uh, with a guy with large ears, and then he uh, won the Academy Award for uh, Best Live Action Short in 2011 for a short he did called God of Love, which is this playful and kind of whimsical um, French New Wave kind of romantic screwball thing, and it's just very disappointing. Luckily, um, the this this one is written by someone else. Not necessarily luckily, but at least not completely his fault. Um, but... Yeah, it was terrible. It was not good. But a good thing that I watched was Phantom of the Paradise by Brian De Palma. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And I think it definitely has the upper hand on Rocky for a picture show. It's a very, it's a, has a, <laughs> I like that you had to clarify. Not, not Rocky. Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> I've never actually seen Rocky Rocky. Um, but Phantom of the Paradise has this emotional weight to it that Rocky Horror does not have. Oh, see, I prefer Rocky Horror, but it's probably an exposure thing, and also I think the songs are more fun. It, it just speaks. It's a bit. It's a. It's a gayer movie, so it'll always have my heart. Uh, and it, I, you know, it's been a constant in my life since I was six years old. But Phantom of the Paradise is a lot of fun, and it features the underrated Jessica Harper, and uh, it's it's a great movie. Did you know that movie was like? A very popular movie in Winnipeg, Canada, for yeah. like weeks and weeks and weeks for no reason. <laughs> the contract or the soundtrack sold twenty thousand copies, and it's a certified gold record. And otherwise, uh, nowhere else did it do that well. <laughs> it's a really weird thing. Huh. Strange. <laughs> so. So, this month, we decided to watch two movies that were Kyle's choices. They were. What were they, Kyle? <clears throat> they were Antichrist, directed by Lars von Trier from 2009, and Heartbeats, or Les um, Le Amours Imaginaires, by Xavier Dolan from 2010. And why'd you pick them? Why'd you pick them? Yeah. Oh, why did yeah. I pick them? <laughs> Do the intro. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> Go into it. My apologies. It's cool. Um, they were, um, so I'll restart then. They were um, Antichrist by Lives Frontier. No, it's, that's... no, just keep going. Keep going. It's fine. Keep going. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I picked them because I thought they would be very funny, complimentary <laughs> features. One, I mean, ostensibly, they are incredibly different. I mean, Antichrist is this very visceral psycho horror film and Heartbeats is kind of like a fun arty romantic comedy but they they uh, they both have love in them somewhere deep down <laughs> sort of um, Antichrist is kind of like um, Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now by way of Tarkovsky it's about these two people uh, husband and wife she and him who, whose child dies, and they go off into the woods in order to deal with their grief. And strange things happen in the woods, as they always do. Heartbeats is um, kind of like Jules and Jim by way of Almodovar and Wong Kar Wai and whatnot. Um, it's about two friends, Marie and Francis, who fall in love with the same really attractive guy. And there's a, some mild competition, but it's really an examination of desire. Is there anything else I should say? No, I guess I guess that's it. Those are the two. For, which one do we want to do first? Let's do Antichrist first. Let's do Antichrist first. Okay. What are people's Antichrist uh, feelings? Where do they sit on that? I'm just going to pick someone. Destiny, go. Oh, you picked me of all people. I okay. Did. Um. Overall, I enjoyed this movie. I am still kind of working out. Uh, many, many weeks later after watching it, my feelings about it, because I 
can't say anything negative about it. Like, I genuinely enjoyed it just because it was so unsettling in a way I always appreciate about those kinds of movies. Um, it reminded me a lot of the um, film Possession with uh, Sam Neill and Isabella Jonti, the 1980 film about the woman slowly falling in love with the tentacled man uh, or the creature. And uh, it, it's it's one of those movies where it's based in reality, but things just kind of slowly get weirder and weirder. And then you've got these two people just like their, their sanity is being tested by the environment around them. And, and so I really enjoyed that, but I just, I'm struggling to like verbalize what about it sort of bothered me. And I don't, don't know where I stand on that, but I can't say I disliked it. And I'd like to, I, I probably just need to watch it again. There's just something about it that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Is it the gender politics? But that's the thing. I don't think the gender politics are like bad at all. It, like, because both of them, the male and female characters in this film, they're both flawed. And I don't need perfect portrayals of women in my movies. Like, one of the things I appreciate about this director is that he doesn't, ha- like, uh, obviously he doesn't share my gender, uh, identity politics, but he always puts women in these really interesting, complex positions, and I really appreciate that. Like, I'm always having my feelings challenged in a way that I find really valuable, and I uh, so far, out of what I've seen from Montreal, like, I like everything I've seen. So it wasn't even that exactly, it was just sort of like, maybe just I wanted a movie more about grief than I did about gender. Was it the? It was like the most fatalistic movie ever made. <laughs> I don't well, think it's that fatalistic. I'm the thinking it's called fairly oh, fatalistic. On. It's called Antichrist. Like I'm not expecting a sunshine romp. But it's not, <laughs> not not in the terms of its um uh like plot or anything. But it, those like thematically, that's very much a movie about this is happening and I guess we can do nothing about it. But like, it's clearly, because uh, I read that also, because in addition to being a movie that uh, is deeply about misogyny and gender politics and everything, it's also a movie about depression and written by someone who's very depressed. Uh, and it deals with overcoming like trauma and pain as a concept as in this really fatalistic way that comes from a, a place when you're still in it. One of the things I appreciate about appreciate about this film is that it, like Melancholia, but even I think even more so, it is able to articulate that anxiety through the camera. Yeah, I don't think overcoming is what the movie's about. I think the movie's about the wallowing period. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I meant. That's what I'm saying. Okay, sorry. Well, you said, said overcoming, and my brain went. Well, I said it. It does. It doesn't get there. Yeah, it's no, written by someone who is in the middle of it. it. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell. And, I think that, like, that's just as important a thing to show, mm-hmm. like, as the overcoming. But, like, no, I, the the grieving stuff in it was probably my favorite part. And then when it kind of veered off into this domestic uh, unease, uh, I wasn't as interested. Uh, so it didn't really grab me on a, a, a visceral level. Like, I wanted to feel a lot of things I wasn't feeling. And that's just a personal thing I think for me because like the first half of the movie where it's just Charlotte Gainsbourg like so overcome with grief that she becomes sick like that is that's where I was with the movie but everything else I just was kind of I I was entertained but like I I didn't love well it's yeah I feel the same way actually this is not my favorite Von Trier film although I don't know why I keep watching it this is like my 10th time seeing it Pro tip, don't watch this when you have a hangover. <laughs> this is not what happened this time, but it happened last year, like on Valentine's Day. Um, so this is like a yearly thing for you. Every Valentine's Day, you're like, let's watch Antichrist. <laughs> yeah, that and Dogville and Mandalay. Um, <laughs> the romantic I, three, huh? Yep. <laughs> I like Destiny. I don't think there is one particular thing that I dislike about it or 
or anything like that. It just there, it wasn't able to meet that next criterion in order for me to love it as much as I love some of Voucher's other works. Same. Like, it doesn't hit me on the same level as, say, A Dancer in the Dark or, um, what's the other one I really love? Uh, his show, uh, The Kingdom. Like, they just don't, don't hit me on the same level. Um, I'll speak up because this is my favorite Von Trier film. Uh, and I think the thing that gets me is I feel, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but this movie feels like a very elaborate response to Catherine Breyer's Anatomy of Hell, which is an, another movie about examining this source of like anxiety and misogyny between men and women in like this archetypal role. I think both movies are fundamentally about what, do, where does this wellspring of cultural hate come from? And Antichrist is about stripping away the layers of like our rationality through her constant rejection of this very uh, patronizing and patriarchal and masculine mode of therapy and the way that he talks her down and it brings it into this elemental space where I think the movie's arguments are essentially that this this conflict is eternal because it stems from mortal terror and that mortal terror stems from like men historically inflict this pain upon women because women give birth and that causes this cycle of life and death and that's represented through like this forest which is full of life and death be it the fox tearing out its own innards or the deer giving birth to like the stillborn baby. Um, and the way that she internalizes that is to like inflict child abuse and inflict self harm and inflict harm on her partner. But it also just perpetuates that thing. Like she ends up being, being this prototypical victim in that she takes the things that have been used culturally against all women and internalizes it and lashes out in a misogynistic way. And that's the thing that I think is most fascinating about the movie, that it gives you this almost allegory for how this happens culturally and how it poisons people. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Von Trier is perpetuating those myths by having a character do that? I think he's trying to examine it. I don't think he offers like any sort of resolution. But I think he's asking the question and he's not unsympathetic towards the idea that this is a thing that exists and is being perpetuated. Like it's not painting uh, the woman as like this, like neither character is portrayed as a hero, uh, but she is definitely portrayed as a victim more so than even Defoe's character who gets maimed by her repeatedly. He's still the bad guy in this, and the fact that he wins, I think, says more about our cultural norms and where we, like, see the role of men in this place. Because even though she inflicts all this violence upon him, she also inflicts it upon herself, and when push comes to shove, like, he proves her right by turning on her and killing her. Well, that's a good point. The shot when Which he, I he, think one... Sorry. Well, the shot when he kills her, it's like on her eyes and she's like the saddest person like inne- just accepting this inevitability he doesn't actually beat her he, she has all the strength but it portrays his victory as inevitable and this tragic thing and it doesn't know how to deal with it I feel like I don't feel like it's ad- advocating it as a good thing in any way like the fact no. that William Defoe ends up surviving doesn't I mean, I don't know people why people think that that makes the film misogynistic. I don't know. I don't get it. Um, it were, so I have two things. One, the way that, that we're speaking of, of this turmoil between um, genders in this film is, yeah. actually, is actually reminding me of Gone Girl. Um, that inevitability that there, there will be that... that constant clash because it's culturally ingrained in, in our roles. And then also one of the things I do like about Von Trier a lot is that all of his male characters are terrible. They're terrible people. Um, and I think one specific archetype that he tends to use is the mansplainer. You can see it in Tom Edison in Dogville. Um, this this character, um, him uh, in Antichrist, 
and then Kiefer Sutherland in uh, Melancholia, and then also um, Seligman in Nymphomaniac. It's almost as if he's asking male characters or male uh, male identifying people to step back and stop talking. Well, because they go, they go to the forest and he goes through all this therapy and basically the moment everything starts going weird and she actually starts opening up what her feelings are, he is the one that decides, no, fuck this, I can't do this. Because he, like, well, there's that scene where he finds the writing and then just, like, blames her uh, rather than actually talking through it. Like, that's a, I was shouting at the screen going, you are the worst therapist. What is wrong <laughs> with you? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that the movie, like, fully explores that sort of, like, uh, breach of, uh, protocol. Like, the fact that he's like, I'm just gonna be the one that cures you, even though I'm clearly suffering and I'm way too close to this. And, uh, like, that is one of the more interesting, uh, things between their dynamic to watch. Yeah. Like, in that first shot at the funeral, he's clearly just a broken person, and then as soon as it cuts to her in the hotel room, he's fine, and just retreats into being arrogant, intelligent man to mm-hmm. ignore confronting anything. It's true. Mm-hmm. And I think that reappears in Buncher's work a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I liked Antichrist. It was... I watched it first thing in the movie in the morning, which is good because it's it's really uns- it's terrifying. It's not scary in a like horror movie way because I didn't really jump, but just th- the slow build of dread that comes from watching it is palpable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't even identify why. Just the way the camera moves, the way uh, the shots build up, the way this relationship unfolds, it's just, ah, ugh. And you just come away from it feeling like, ugh. <laughs> I think despite the fact that it's not shot con- like a conventional horror film, I think it's still able to retain um, the ability to really imbue fear in the audience. Yeah. And I, I guess partially it's because the issues that it's dealing with feel so real and so close. That's definitely true. I get, yeah, I get, I guess. I agree. Uh, anyone else got anti-crap? Everyone, normally we talk for a bit longer than this, I guess. What did you guys think of, like, a lot was made of the genital mutilation. Oh, yeah, that happens. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I, I didn't know anything about this movie, but that's the thing I knew going in. Mm-hmm. That was the thing that everyone would talk about. And when I actually got there, you know, everything else that they were doing to each other physically bothered me way more. And I actually appreciated the, uh, the, uh, weird symbolism, the on the nose symbolism of just like this clip being cut off and blown. Across the room. I think the, uh, the part where this is very much a horror movie about, like, this kind of terror of, like, our cultural norms and how we relate to one another is that this mutilation is the moment when, like, the monster is finally revealed in its full glory. And, like, any horror movie, once you can see the thing right there in front of you, the impact is immediately lessened. Like, the mutilation is the catharsis where suddenly all of your terror is released in this moment where it's like, oh, that's gross and horrifying, but, like, the build is gone because this is when it all comes rushing out at once. And then you're left with these people, like, playing out the inevitable end of their own tragedy, but, like, that's the moment where I think the tension releases itself. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, that... Um, I was actually bothered more by the stuff she was doing to his feet. And just, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it was all, yeah, it was all very, uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the ejaculation of the blood was, every time, every time she pounds that wooden log, I, I jump and feel nauseous. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's the worst. <laughs> 
<laughs> yep, it's very uncomfortable. In an already pretty uncomfortable movie. Oh, it's the most uncomfortable movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But I, like I said, I liked it. I'm actually looking forward to giving it another viewing. I never finished Melancholia, so I really want to finally get that watched. This, is, this has been really? the, the one that, yeah, really. Like I started it and never finished it. I think so. that's his most accessible one. Really? Okay. Well, that's good to know because I, I don't, I just never got around to finishing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to watch more Lars von Trier. This, this was my first Lars von Trier movie. And really? Yes. Uh, I'm going to watch Nymphomaniac soon, because someone told me to. Yes, that was probably me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> someone was like, I demand to know your thoughts on Nymphomaniac. Go and watch it. I was like, okay. You need to watch the director's cut, though. It's on Netflix now, so... Uh, if it's not the director's cut, don't bother watching it. Uh, can I at least watch it over two nights? Because five hours is... I don't want to watch a movie for five hours. <laughs> hey, hey, if I can do it, you can too. That's not true. <laughs> You're different people. <laughs> that's inaccurate. That's gonna be your second one. Like, that's, that's a doozy. You don't think he should build up to an Nymphomaniac? I mean, I probably should have built up I to the Antichrist. I do think he should build up to Nymphomaniac, but when he does, I think he should watch it in one sitting and the director's cut. What if I no, don't like it? What if I don't like it? Then I will. I will probably understand why you won't like it because it's not similar to his other works. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I want. I want to see it. Uh, well, it's just long. It's just the longest thing. I'll be fine. <laughs> I've sat and watched. No, no, no. I got the longest thing in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Is Ooh, what it? a classy! It's this rolled-up receipt. Yeah, from all the movies that I bought from Amazon. <laughs> yeah, I decided to print out the Amazon receipt because that's how I am. <laughs> do you really do that? No. <laughs> I was gonna ask. Who print? No, no one prints out the Amazon no. receipts. Well, that's Antichrist. You should watch Antichrist. The second movie was, as Carl was saying, was Heartbeats by Xavier Dolan. What did everyone think of Heartbeats? Who's going to go first? Shall I just be effusive as to why I love it? Yeah, sell us all on Heartbeats. What's what's the deal with Heartbeats, Kyle? So Heartbeats um, is often the most disliked film out of Xavier Donan's filmography. He is a 25-year-old filmmaker who made his first film, I Killed My Mother, when he was 19. He did Heartbeats when he was 20. Um, four, out of, four out of his five films have premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. His most recent, Mommy won the jury prize um, and tied with uh, Jean-Luc Godard's uh, Goodbye to Language. But um, Heartbeats is the one that, that most people don't particularly care for. And they find it very indulgent. They find it um, more mercur- mercurial in terms of its style than the rest of his work. Um, they think it's all style and no substance. Um, I think it's very pretentious. And my rebuttal to that is yes, and um, it's a film about, about these two friends who fall in love with the same guy, and it the film is about inhabiting what it's like to be in lust with someone, to be enamored of someone so deeply that Time slows down and uh, Delita's cover of Bang Bang plays in your head, or you're staring so lustfully at someone that the knife passes on, plays, and everything just stops, and you imagine the platonic ideal of, of what your mate would be, and it's either in the form of like um, illustrations or a sculpture, and you do stupid things like buy a $500 tangerine sweater for this person, even though they won't appreciate it. And <laughs> it is about kind of doing those really dumb, pretentious things and, and what those effects are like. I, um, what those feelings are like. I want to interject because I really like this movie, but I completely disagree with your interpretation of it. Because for me, this movie... Uh, I started off like really disliking it because I was like, 
both these people are chasing someone who is clearly the shallowest human being on earth mm-hmm. and they have no business doing so because any like doing anything else with their life would be more interesting than chasing this dream. And then I realized that the movie itself is just this ridiculous farce about what it means to be a young person in love over that's, nothing. That's what I'm saying though. But like, I don't think this is like you, you're, you're portraying this as like a, a, a like a romantic ideal. And I, I think this movie's enjoyable in a ha ha. Look at these people. Aren't they stupid way? I think it can be both. It's made by a young person, and I think it benefits immensely being as young as these characters are and being able to identify with how stupid they are. I think I think it plays bo- both sides of that coin. I I'm... think that... Oh, wait. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, Like, the first time I saw it, I remember thinking it was really cute, but it sort of... um. I don't know if it was because I was younger or what, but it definitely had more of an emotional resonance with, like, at least as far as, like, the uh, characters, uh, Francis and Marie, like, just the fact that, like, you you do fall for people in your life that are just totally not worth it. Yeah, and, and you'll do stupid, stupid things to get their attention, and then later you realize, oh, that was a mistake, and you can laugh about it. And I like the movie for capturing that that stupidity and appreciating it in a weird way. Yeah. Upon a second viewing, I identify way more with the like frustrated characters who kind of interject with their little stories about uh, the dumb things they did in the name of love. Like the girl that, uh, you know, was waiting for this guy for ages and it turns out he's dating another guy or the girl that has all the emails that she's like, uh, so concerned with receiving or not receiving and uh because it's like once you get to a certain age you you go through that or some people you know they go through that experience and like that's the stuff that i related related to uh but i i think this is still a really funny and fun movie i think that the um stylized uh young experience is it's it's a beautiful movie to look at Maybe you want to move, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah maybe you want to just do all kinds of stuff. And, and I appreciate it, but I definitely see it. Like as I age, I, I have a different viewpoint on it <laughs> than I did the first time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am like, eh. see, this is the first time I feel all four of us have landed in kind of different places on a movie. Uh, I found it kind of cold. Uh, like I got the fast. What? 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 It's a, it's cold. It's distant. It's cold, and I didn't like. No. Oh, okay. So it's the whole not. thing it, it, it is because the whole thing no. it, like on purpose because the whole thing is about these characters who want this person who have this desire, but he is deliberately uh, shot in a way that barely, barely shows his face. It barely focuses on him. He is a device more than the character. He may as well be a slab yeah. of cardboard. And <laughs> I know, I know it's, I know it's the point, but there is never, you never feel these characters' desire. You just Absolutely watch. disagree. No, you don't, because you no, watch well, them have the, you watch them have it. the desire, but it never, like, it's central to its point is that this desire is hollow and meaningless. So you, I can't feel the desire because it's critiquing it and allowing this disaster to play out. And it does. And I'm like, yep, now they're, now they're hitting each other. Yep, this was always going to happen. Well done. I'm shaking my head at all of you right now. And I didn't, I didn't connect to it in any real way. The only, the actual point where I felt it achieved what it wanted to be was the ending, where he, they, they see the guy again, and, uh, what's his face? Francis screams, and they stick together, and they go, no, fuck you, we have learned our lesson, we are, oh, <clears throat> not gonna put ourselves through that bullshit again, and then record scratch. They run off to someone else, and it's like, this happens again. They're like, ha, ah, great, that's good. That's pretty, that's, yeah, I get you. Uh, but during the actual whole affair, I didn't, it just, it just, it, like, yeah, it, it left me very cold. I was like, very distant. I'm very much in disagreement. Totally. I, I think, well, on, on the, on the level that desire is hollow and meaningless, I don't think that is true. I think the, they, the film is sympathetic to the desires of its characters while still being able to critique them. 
still be able, still being able to say that they're being stupid. But there's some sort of joy and some sort of thrill in being a young, stupid person who's in lust with someone really awful. And I, I mean, very much just... Oh, may I? Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, like, I kind of agree with Kyle because I feel like the um, scene where Francis talks about all those marks he's been making on his bathroom wall about, like, all the times he's rejected and, like, he... Like, I mean, they're deeply feeling the things they feel, even if we don't take them seriously. And I think the movie does a good job of conveying that. I think the movie does a good job of conveying how deeply they feel everything. I don't think it does a good job of letting you into their feelings. I because it's tell- the whole, every every camera movement is from their perspective. Every moment of desire where time slows no, down. Or it's, where not, it's not from their perspective. It is like reflecting back at them. It is focused on them. It doesn't actually... Fo- if it was from their perspective, we would have some idea... Get- for, uh, we would have some idea from moment one uh, why they in the first place, uh, going for this guy. Instead, the first scene is like... But does it matter? Yes, like, because... Sometimes, sometimes you... you go after someone and it, there's, like, no particular reason. You just feel this ele- this electric connection to them, even sure, though it's I'm, completely I'm saying, wrong. I'm, I'm saying that the, the way it's shot, the, the way that first scene goes, uh, where it's just, who's that guy over there? And he's just, like, sitting around doing whatever. It is from moment one conveying the criticisms and at no point are you ever let in on their fantasy of what this could be it is calling nope. them out on their stuff from moment one you never actually get to feel what it's like for their them inside their head on this like hollow quest nope completely disagree the scene in the party where you get to see both of their gazes but like the actual gaze switches from one person to the next within the same scene where they're imagining their platonic ideals even though it's not that particular person they're imagining what they want out of this what what they think this person is like he like the camera literally pulls back from them and then switch it and then um reverse shots to um uh what's his name nicholas and then intercuts with either uh michelangelo's david or illustrations by jean cocteau to men making love that is what they want that is that is inside their head yeah, but it shows you what they want. It doesn't allow me like I don't know, I didn't I didn't get the thing that you get in a movie where it you are like, I understand this character, I'm with I'm with them even if it's a terrible idea. Like I can be with characters but, making terrible decisions, but You don't think that the scene where he's where what I like another thing that I like about this film is that there's so much artificiality about most of the style, but underneath it I think there is this really vulnerable part, this really sweet and tender um, understanding of why people make dumb decisions that they really just want, like the spoon. They're talking, like um, Marie is talking to the hairdresser about how sh- how it's the spoon that matters. And I'm particularly interested in the scene where Francis reveals his feelings to um, Nicholas. There's this really wounded part of him that he's allowing himself to make, uh, allowing himself to be vulnerable to this person. Who totally doesn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. And I think that scene is incredibly raw. I think it's like one of the... That and the um, party scene are the two best scenes of the film that I think perfectly... Art- as well as the ending scene that you mentioned, perfectly articulate the film's thesis. Mm-hmm. I guess I just feel like that uh, scene with uh, Nicholas and Francis specifically is a catharsis for a build-up that never took place. Like, because it never hooked you... It, it, it always... Like, it, I, I don't know how to... It's never going to not feel distant to me the way it operates, because uh, it has so many layers of artificiality, like you say, and it doesn't ever stop showing you why what they're doing is a ridiculous idea. That I always felt very distant to the characters in the movie. So when everything, all the raw stuff happens, it's like hasn't earned that level of catharsis yet in me. So that, like, I agree with you. It's totally a raw scene, but. You know, I feel like I'm going on to like I'm just harping on the same point here. Like I made my point, I guess. Uh, someone else take something. Go. Ah. Uh. I'm pleased that like this movie that I I see as a light film inspired way more passionate discussion than this like very like heavy film uh, Antichrist that amuses the hell out of me. <laughs> just say just throwing that out there. You picked the worst person to discuss Xavier Dolan with because. 
I, I'm a little bit of a fanboy of his work, but I don't, I mean, as much as I talk about Heartbeats and as far as uh, defense goes, he's, um, as I said, like most people don't like him, but uh, like, I feel like Jackson's opinion is more the consensus, but, um, I don't often talk about how much I guess I identify with Francis's character that, like, I did the tally mark thing when I was in high school because I'm lame and I realized that in retrospect, it was stupid and very self-pitying and very um, wallowy. But I think there's also some sympathy to be had for someone who would be motivated to do that kind of thing and to um, kind of exacerbate their feelings through having these kinds of hookups that don't mean anything but are, um, for that person, at least some sort of manifestation of the desire that he wants to explore. He wants desire and to be desired. If that makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. I I think the movie's sympathetic and still has that distance and and maturity enough to go, this is still funny. Mm -hmm. This is something that both of those characters, no matter how many times it happens to them, they'll both look back on it and laugh. Yeah, I agree. I, I might actually lean closer to Jackson here where I think, like, I really disliked maybe the first half hour of this movie because I felt like there was nothing propping up the emotions of these characters. Like, I, I understand that they feel them, but I think that they're a source of derision, not a source of sympathy for me. Like, uh, the way that they express them to me is like, it's ridiculous. Like, how can you how can these people be so self-serious about something so petty? <laughs> you don't, it you happens. haven't experienced that? No, yeah. no, that. I really haven't. Oh, no, see, neither have, of us have. That was my entire high school existence was <laughs> falling for these people that were idiots and, and like just an engrossing, all encompassing, uh, what I thought was love because I was so young that that's what I thought it was, you know, mm-hmm. and just doing things for these people that they didn't deserve in these really upsetting ways. And I, st- I think I still do it on uh, some level. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, that's I never been, that's never been how I process those kind of emotions. And that's okay. I don't that's- think that it's something that's, I don't think it's a universal experience, but I, I'm, cause I mean, obviously we all found something kind of, I, I can speak for everyone that we all kind of enjoyed the movie on one level or another. Or did you not like it, Jackson? I was the, the, I enjoyed it the least, but I didn't think it was bad. Okay. So like, yeah, we all kind of found something in it to enjoy, but like, yeah, I don't think it's a universal experience, but I'm, I, I definitely, uh, was on some level a lot like those characters. Uh, and also, you know, now I'm old enough to know that like, I can look back on the goofy things I did in my high school years and my early twenties and kind of giggle at it. And I appreciate a movie that can, it, 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 I wouldn't go so far to say that it, well, no, you know what? I will. It romanticizes it while simultaneously going, I know this is a farcical thing. This is a very screwball situation. I mean, the two main characters, they're supposed to be these great friends. They end up rolling around in a forest fighting over this guy who cannot be arsed to even like engage that and then when they both confess their feelings for him he's completely cold like it's a ridiculous thing yeah i mean i I, that happened to me in high school and even if you didn't experience it i think on some level like it's uh something that you can see people doing in real life even if it is to this like Eye rolling degree. <laughs> I honestly think that this is that that the skeletal story of this film is fairly well worn. It's just the way that it's presented, which I think is interesting. It's those details, those mercurial styles. I would agree with that for sure. Because I was I was so afraid in the watching, be starting to watch this movie that it was going to be another like dewy eyed, self serious European threesome movie. Because I hate those as a genre. <laughs> That's a genre? I think so. Can't you not, can you not like name like five of those off the top of your head? I can only think of Jules and Jim. 
Really? Are I know they exist. I'm just having a brain, a brain. Thing. Like from thing. the Dreamers to the Motorcycle Diaries, and like Motorcycle Diaries is a good movie, but it's totally one of those. And then there's like the schlockier ones. Most of them, I mean, you know, come out of France, but like there's a ton of those. Oh, I haven't seen these. Like dumb sexual awakening usually threesome coming-of-age movies where there's, like, some element of danger to it, maybe. I, I I see... I feel like one of these drifts into the art house cinema every year, and I roll my eyes every time. I don't think The Dreamers is stupid. I really like that movie. But it's one of those. It's totally one of those. Well, I think Jackson is wrong. That is... If, if I can be wrong about Jupiter Ascending, you can be wrong about art beats. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Except you're not wrong about Jupiter Ascending. You were literally, by definition, just ignorant about it. That's true. You haven't seen Jupiter If you can see Jupiter Ascending, and I know you know films and can articulate why you don't like them, uh, and you don't like it, that's fine. It's the fact that you were like, no, I'm just, I can't bother to see this. Or I don't want it. I don't know. That's, that's what, anyway, this is going like to, I off. don't have the money to see it. That's fair enough. Um, but, neither do I. We're all very poor here. Well, me and Kyle. Uh, anyway. What are we talking about? We're talking about Heartbeats. <laughs> Heartbeats is amazing, and my theory is that I've done that film. I need to see more. That's the only one I've seen, and I feel bad that I haven't seen more yet. But I, um, I think you would like his, the rest of his stuff better, actually, because um, I don't know how you would feel about I Killed My Mother, because that's a very bratty movie. Uh, <laughs> I can appreciate bratty if it's done right. I mean, I, I mean, like on its surface, it's, it's very bratty, but I think there's mm. certainly more going on in the film. I think you might like Tom at the Farm the best. What's it about? Tom at the Farm is this queer Hitchcockian thriller. It's, it's a very much a genre exercise that I kind of that I actually think is his best because it's his most restrained. But it's about um, a young man who goes to the home of his late lover but his late lover's family didn't know that their son was gay oh wow yeah so it's really interesting some it's kind of so i watched it with a friend and she said that it was kind of like dolan's persona film like bergman <laughs> that's one of my favorite movies so there's that i'm would be really interested to hear what you folks think of his third film, and often his most lauded, Lawrence Anyways, which is um, about this uh, trans woman who had been living as a man and then finally comes out to her partner, and it shakes up their relationship. It takes place over ten years, and that one's really um, luscious, I guess, and emotionally ravaging. Well, check them out. I like movies. That's why I'm here. And then there's Mommy, which I rewatched, which I saw again, and it was amazing. That's one that'll be coming to Omaha really soon, so I hope that we get to it. Yay! I was surprised Connecticut, Connecticut even got it, because I was not expecting Connecticut to get it, because it doesn't get most things. It does not... <laughs> Just, um, exhibit most like art housey films. That's very... sad. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you got it. Oh, cool. That's that's our opinions on heartbeats. I guess uh, everyone came down pretty differently. It was a good talk. Feeling pretty good about it. Yeah. I guess. I guess that's a podcast. We didn't get any questions. Oh, we did get one question. Oh, from who? Did he? We got a question from um, Adrian Nugan at Neutral3. Okay. Which Godard do you prefer, early or late Godard? I've only seen early, so I'd have to pick Ditto. that. Ditto, yeah. I, I haven't. Uh, Jackson? I, I, is, I haven't seen any Godard, because I, um, I'm not as, I don't have as many films as you guys. I'm here to discover films. That's why I'm here. I prefer no Godard. Whoa! <laughs> You're that person. You're so edgy. <laughs> um, I, I have a very complicated relationship with him. I mostly, I get what he's doing, but I don't like what he's doing. 
Except for in Beef to Me, which I think is the one film that he is able to craft. A, I think it's the one film where he's able to, to um, evoke emotion from the audience. And it's, I guess, the one film where he's asking to do that because the rest of his stuff is more, oh, win? Mm-hmm. The rest of his films, he just uses his characters as mouthpieces for, you know, didactic political ideas. Yeah. I just, like, I've only seen bits and pieces. I don't, or not bits and pieces, uh, a few films here and there, so I don't know uh, his periods very well, but I, I am very curious about his later period stuff because it's very contentious. So that's something I'd, I'd want to explore at some point. Oh, I did like Goodbye to Language, though. Wasn't that the, was that the most recent one? The one in 3D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to I wanna check some of them out. I know that's, that's one of my big gaps. I need to go there. So I'll be able to ask this question at some point in my life. Yeah, sorry, Adrian Wynn. I'm sorry for mispronouncing your name. Thank you very much for the question. You should you should send in more next time, people. Uh, but yeah, that was that was a podcast. Welcome to the plug zone now. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, don't don't you have of... don't you have business to deal with before the plug zone, Jackson? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, well when we finish one club, it's all part of the same. <laughs> I deliberately said plug zone so you wouldn't I meant the wrap up to, uh, oh <laughs> this, this was meant to avoid this you one time last time too didn't you I think yeah, it was no, the other I way never, around I never let him get an outro out right I think it was the other way around last time I can't uh, remember yeah no <sighs> who cares we're on twitter no one gives it no, no. <laughs> Matt, where are you? You can find me at LitRock, L-I-T-R-O-C-K. I also write for Abnormal Mapping. No, I don't write for you. I produce the podcast that we do. You, you write for Abnormal Mapping. You were just featured in quality... I'm a featured video games writer, I guess. <laughs> Whatever. I make Let's Plays. You got Abnormal Mapping. It's mostly Jackson's words, but I edit the podcast. No, we both edit. I host the podcast. Yep. Uh, I like Check that out. There. Yep. Uh, that's where I... Do I do anything else? I don't think I do. Uh, yes, you do. I started a Patreon? Yes. Okay. That was that was part of Abnormal Mapping. It's so. not... I'm not I'm not getting paid. No, but it's on that website. Good point. True. Uh, <laughs> I, I, if you want to give me money to write words about video games, uh, then go to patreon.com slash Jackson Tyler, and I'll try to do that. Yay. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at TYLEA002. Destiny, where are you? I'm at FridgeBuzz now on Twitter, and uh, you can find my other podcast at BadlandGirls.com. We just talked about art horror. It was fun. It's a good time. Woo! Woo! Kyle, where are you? I'm at Tyler Kerner, T-Y-L-E-K-U-R-N-E-R, on Twitter. You can find my collected writings at tilekerner.tumblr.com because I freelance and write on the internet places. Um, I am the chief editor of Movie Mezzanine's The Balcony, so I do a lot of stuff there, where I have a weekly podcast called Film Critic of the Week, where I talk to film critics and pick their brains. And I'd also like to take this opportunity to plug a different podcast that I'm on. May I? Please do. Yes, it's the plug zone. Yes, um... So my friend Connor and I have created this podcast called Media Query, where we examine queerness in culture. Um, and it's fun, and you should listen to it. Our first episode was on Ryan Murphy and how frustrating he is. We plan on having guests in the, fu- in the future to diversify the conversation and to give insight into experiences that neither of us can have. So uh, our second episode was on TLC's pseudo-pilot, My Husband's Not Gay, and we had an interesting discussion about that. Uh, so check it out. We have a conversation. Is Ryan Murphy frustrating, or is he just bad? He's frustrating. He's okay. frustrating. Okay. <laughs> I, I, There's some good in there sometimes. I haven't heard about the good, I guess. <laughs> uh, take a listen to our podcast and I shall. find out why. Thank you. Uh, what are we doing next month, Matthew? Oh, it's my choice, right? Yeah. I guess I gotta think of something, don't I? You know what you're saying. I'm not going to let you have your bit when I can't have my bit. 
No, I I have a movie that is unfortunately out of print in America, but I heard no. copies for everybody once again. Um, we are going to watch Danger Diabolic by Mario Bava. Yes. 1967 Master Thief slash Ninja Italian comic book movie. Perfect. That is amazing. Very excited for that. Well, I guess no one will be able to watch that alone then. <laughs> what? <laughs> I guess folks won't be able to watch that alone. They can if they're in the UK. It's on Amazon for like a fiver. Yep. Uh, so. It's a fiver. Well, it's five of our pounds. Five, five pounds. What's, do you, do you guys not call five dollars a fiver? No. No. I mean, I think that totally exists like in an older context in America, but it's mostly a Britishism. Though, I mean, it's weird that Cal doesn't know what that is. Yeah, that's... Why? Do you think I get fivers on the weekend? I'm not that cheap. If you're like a tenner, like a fiver, a tenner, I don't know. I don't think it's that weird. It's it's just a, yeah it's the number it's also pretty obvious what it is it's just five of them. Five well, I wasn't sure if it was five pounds or five quid or something. I don't know. They're the same That's thing. The same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, pound. You know what? I didn't know, so I'm not gonna front like I did. That's like me saying I didn't know if that was ten dollars or ten bucks. Okay. I'm sorry that I I do not live in the UK and I do not know your colloquialisms. You didn't want to assume, you know. It's fair enough. You've forgiven. I mean, to be fair, Jackson, you do spell all food wrong. So. <laughs> okay, look, no. I, thought, I actually thought quid was a smaller measurement of money, like cents. What, nope. what is the cents? Pennies. Pennies. We would just say P. We'd say oh, P. pence. Okay, okay. I know what those are. Just so. if, if anything's like under a, a, a quid, we'd say, ah, it's 50p. You would think that having um, a British ex-boyfriend would like help me with this thing, but no, nope, nope. No one is he uh, talking? <laughs> I killed him, so he's not talking anymore. Okay. <laughs> Hummus is spelled H-O-U-M-O-U-S. No, sorry that you're wrong. <laughs> yes, it is. That's how it's spelled. It's no. How, how do you get that? It doesn't even sound like that. Yeah, when you say hummus, like, really quickly, it sounds wrong to me. It's hummus. Hummus. No, no. Hummus? What is this? What barbarous... I, I thought we were living in a society. <laughs> we are living in a society. <laughs> Come back next month for more movies.